Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday afternoon. I'm going to see if I can get in time to finish up my quarter for the week. My uh, nephew, Yoshio Levenger in Muncie, asked me the other day to give a talk about some ideas about the Tzedukim. I said, what do you want the heck with the Tzedukim? Why are you interested in that subject of all things? And he said, listen, they're doing the Dafiyam in Yuma. I said, you know, that's a very good reason. <laughs> then I get it, right? Then I get it. So I'll share a few ideas out there. Nobody knows exactly the Tzedukim are. Very little evidence to go with, but there are a lot of theories. We're dealing here with the Baishani period. We, um, we know that there was a certain sectarianism. And when it emerged, by the time the story's over, is the Prushim, the Tzedukim, and maybe one more. Who are the Tzedukim? They're obviously the bad guys in the Gemara, in rabbinical literature, they don't like them. So the Tzedukim, in Greek you say Sadducees, were the opponents of Prussian. Who were the Prussian? Well, one thing's clear. The Tzedukim disappeared from history. The Prussian, per se, seemed to have disappeared from history, but not really. So the Orthodox Jews claimed that they're from the Prussian. That's what you and I say. If that's the case... Then the Pharisees won. Not necessarily through argumentation, as we'll see in a second, but through survival. Geschichte is gericht, as the Germans say. History is the final judge. If you have different forms, let's say, for example, of Judaism, and one disappears in history, Shema Minah, it wasn't real. Now, you could disagree with that, and a philosopher, I'm serious, I'm being serious, could say, maybe the real idea disappeared in history and the phony idea popped up. But, it's not Mashman that way. Especially if a person believes in God. You don't think that way. So it's clear that the Pharisees survived and the Sadducees did not survive. That being the case, when you talk about who the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Prussian Sadducan, every historian has tried to identify his own group with the Prussian. As I said, in the Gemara we certainly do that. And in the 19th century, when modern Jewish history started, in the 19th century, we started to have people with, let's, I'll use simple language, started to have people with PhDs writing history. So each one, his group, claimed I'm the Pharisees and the other guys are the Tzedukis. The most extreme, uh, remarkable example of this is the founder of Reformed Judaism, or one of its main founders, Abraham Geiger, who was a, a brilliant historian in a, in a nutty way. In other words, he was always wrong. But he had these very original ideas because he grew up very from and he was a Talmud Chacham and a Mephalpil and therefore he brought these qualities Chidushim and Pilpil into his study of history. And to make a long story short he's like this. Are you ready? Hold on to your seat. The Orthodox Jews are the Tzedukim and the Reformed Jews are the Prussian because the Tzedukim, as he would claim represented the old-fashioned way of doing Judaism and the Prussian represented this new Reformed movement 
2,000 years ago. So, we Reformed Jews in the 19th century who were chucking so much out of Judaism and changing the sitter, etc., etc., we're just picking up where the Prussian are. You Orthodox Jews, you from Jews, the Hasidic Jews, who are holding on to the wooden past, no matter how dead it is, you're the Siddiquim. Well, you know, all right. <laughs> this provoked, as you would imagine, in the 19th century, a lot of counter-criticism. This criticism came to crystallize. The from criticism came to crystallize around 1900 or so. When uh, Risa Geisel Levi Rabinowitz wrote the Doris Rishonim, a bunch of volumes, and he's what you might call a Haredi historian. He never went to college, never went to school, but he self-taught. But he read a Bevel, and he too, like Geiger, came from a Lomdish and Pilpalistic background, except that Geiger went off to Derek, and this guy did not. Risa Geisel Levi Rabinowitz, this, among other things, these are Chavrusa Rechaim Brisker. Um, he founded the Agudas Israel. Um, on Fridays, he used to take a day off from work when times were good and spend all day learning. Learning Noda uh, Behud and Mishnah Melech. Gives you an idea who he was. Seems from that world. He was a rich guy and then he went poor. And when he went poor, he wrote all the history books. And he goes to a tremendous lengths over the course of these volumes, which are out of order and hard to read, to argue, obviously, from a historicist basis, interpreting the few sources that we have, I'll talk about in a second, that no, the Frum are the Prussian and the Reformer are the Tzedukah. Okay? If you're interested in what I just said, and you can't read Yitzhakai Lazy or Benazori Shonim, very few people can, all you have to do is get the Victor Miller book, Toronation. Okay? Because Rabbi Miller, Victor Miller, especially, I believe, when he was a mashkiach for a while in uh, Chamberlain, wanted to teach the boys Jewish history, especially his interest in Bayashemi and the stuff we're talking about right now. And he wanted them not to read what you had in all the regular history books. When I was young, there still was something, something of a vibrant, non-from Judaism and Jewish culture in America and elsewhere. You had books coming out all the time on Jewish history and other matters, and they would always define the Pharisees and the Sadducees in some non-from way. Uh, a lot of people believe that stuff. And therefore, Rabbi Miller wanted to give the boys alternative, and therefore, what he did was he took the dirt we showed him, and he put it in English, and he dumbed it down to make it understandable for people, even though it's still difficult. So if you're at all interested, I say this to Yosho and everybody else listening to this, in the subject of Sadukim, and you want a from spin, I would say a Haredi ideological spin, which I don't think is 100% accurate, but I think it's 90% accurate, if you want my opinion, then you'll get the Torah Nation. Very few are you going to crack the books of the Dersh Rishon because it's very densely written, very poorly written. Everybody knows this. The guy may have been very smart, and he was. He was actually brilliant. But he brought a yeshivish Lamdish, Chiddish type way of thinking into the study of history. And sometimes it works and sometimes it does not. Now, we're dealing with the Baishani period. I'll give you my spin. What you have to understand is that in the Baishani, the problem was the belief in Avodah Zorah. But by the beginning of the Second Temple period, somewhere or other, whether you go exactly with that Gomorrah and Yuma that you guys will get to, I don't know where the Dafi is holding, 
But in Psalm Test, they talk about <laughs> getting rid of the Yitzhara of Vodazara. And indeed, we we find that interest in Vodazara is um is gone uh, in Second Temple period. Right? So, um, if there were problems in Jewish life, and of course there were, and if there were problems in Temple life, and of course there were, they weren't that somebody wanted to bring in an idol and bow down to it, as had been the case in Baisrishim, repeatedly. But instead, you had other issues. Now, soon after Second Temple was built, either 50 years or maybe 150 years, whatever, without getting into the Persian Gulf stuff, the Greeks took over. Alexander the Great and his successors, the Hellenistic era, Macedonian dynasties, Greek cultures. <clears throat> now, for the first time, the Jewish people encountered Greek culture and Greek ideas. Philosophy. I would not call the Jewish religion a philosophical religion. I made this point many, many times. We're a religion of nomianism as opposed to um, theology. Jews are mainly about mitzvahs, mitzvahs. Of course we have some basic ideas, obviously. But if you ask me, as I mentioned the other day, what exactly happened to Harasina, is a lot of different opinions. I spent five hours in my show on Shavuot's night talking about the difference of opinions and what exactly happened in Harasina between the Rambam on the one hand and the Ron, the Russians around on the other. There's a lot of nitty-gritty stuff which is of extreme importance and theological importance, and yet... There's a great deal of clarity. And you tell me, who's right, the Rambam or the Ron? You see, we don't do like that. All we say is, we don't know for sure. We have many opinions. Both of these people are Rishonim. There are other Rishonim who have different ideas. You know as well as I do, the Rambam and the Ramban clash a lot. Who's right over what exactly happened to Arsina? Did the Bnei Yisrael hear words from God? Or did they just hear, uh, a sound like that, as the Rambam says? A voice without articulated sound, uh, articulated words. Only Moshe Rabbeinu heard articulated words. This is the Ram says in Moran Bukhun. Or is that wrong? So things in another religion would matter a lot. In tr traditional Judaism, don't matter so much. What matters is the Ten Commandments. You have to keep Shabbos And we immediately get down to the nitty-gritty details. What exactly does it mean to keep Shabbos? What exactly is Kibbut Aveim? How old is the parents? Suppose I want to get married to a girl my father doesn't agree. You know, practical questions. That's, as far as we know, what Judaism was for a thousand years. And then they encounter the Greek stuff, the philosophy. And when they encounter philosophy, it's like new, and ask all kind of questions that Jews haven't thought about. Um, I'm sure if you go to super from circles today, they don't ask philosophical questions. They don't even know the stuff exists. Let's put it this way. If the Chinuch system is successful, they won't know these things exist. Right? So the Satmarchas is not reading the Myrna Bukhim or whatever. Not typically. And certainly not what he called the Milchemus Hashem from Ralbog and all that business. These are not questions that preoccupy them. Right? Adrova, Emunab Shuta is Valerie's. But when the Jews encountered this, it had an impact on them in Second Temple period. The Tzedukim and groups like that are to some degree a product of this world. How exactly? It's not clear. But I'll tell you more or less what um, 
where Vigan Miller or Dorothy Shannon says. And at least they take the trouble to try to fit every Gemara into this theory. And that is the following. In the beginning, we have this famous Abbas uh, Rav and I think many of you are familiar with this, where it said that Antigonus Soho, who was the big guy after Shimon Asadi, in the beginning of Perky Abbas, had two Talmudim, Tzadik and Baisus, hence the Tzaduk and Baisusim. Antigonus Soho said, I'll tell you a Kabonim, I'm Shamshin Sram Pras, but rather Shalom and Asakal Pras. Now, that statement, historically understood, is a classic example of the introduction of Greek philosophical ideas into Jewish life in a way that hadn't been before. Nobody in Bayes Rishon that I know of is talking about Amanasa Kalbras, Shalom Nasa Kalbras. Those weren't categories of Oriental thought. Right? Look at Yeshaya, Yermi, Chesko, and so forth. They talk about keeping misses. They talk about being faithful or unfaithful to Hashem. Those kind of language. Questions of why are you doing the mitzvah? Lishmon, Shalom Lishmon, so on and so forth. I'm sure it had to be out there, but we don't have it in the rhetoric. And here, if in Elvis they're telling me a guy named Antigonus Soho, by the way, the name is interesting. As I mentioned yesterday, Antigonus is a Greek name. He's the God of Lador. So if he's teaching something that they're putting in Elvis, that means they don't hold it some Vardy just through five here or there, but it must have been a big deal with him. So he was pushing the idea of Lishma. Do you get what I'm saying? When you look at Elvis, especially the beginning parts, you have to understand... They're historically grounded, and they're telling you things about what was happening at the time. So if the Anshayinus Do said, uh, what do they say, three things, Asusi Yagla Torah, it must mean that it required it, right? So now you have to make the Rabbonus, because people weren't keeping their rices. That tells you something about their time. There's no statement out there that happens on its own. There's always a historical context. Asusi Yagla Torah. Having Masuna Bedid, be careful as judges. Must have been. There was a problem with that in Basin's. Hamidu uh, Talmidim Harbe. That must mean that there were a lot of Kinnach problems. Okay. So if Antigonus Shishoka is saying, these questions must have arisen. What kind of person would raise these questions? People who are encountering Greek, the thinkers, and they're talking about the first principles of philosophy, which is why you're doing this. Why? Which is a good thing to do. And as you say, I'm keeping Shabbos. Why? God says so. Why? You know, like a kid. Right? And once you all do the why, 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 at a certain point you say like this, is what I'm doing really noble? Or maybe I'm just doing it, you know, Almanasa Kabbalah Pras, in which case it's ignoble. And there may have been Hellenistic critiques of Judaism. As a religion, it has no ethics because... If you're doing everything, for example, for example, Almanas Lakaba Pras, or just because God said it's a mitzvah, so you're not ethical. You just are legalistic. If me, if I see a little old lady crossing the street with a heavy baggage, and I go over to help her, and I do help her, I get her across the street and get her to her house. I did a nice thing. Now ask me why. So you'll say, well, there's a mitzvah. What does that mean? The law requires me to help the little old lady. Well, the heck with that. The same law requires me to keep Shabbos and put on scissors and so on and so forth. So I didn't do anything particularly noble. What I'm saying is, if the law had not required me to do this, if God had not told me to do this, I wouldn't have helped her across the street. So I'm not an ethical person. 
I'm just thinking about what I'm required to do. Why do I want to do what I'm required to do? I'm an Asakaba Pras, let's say. So it turns out I'm a real jerk. I, she's lucky. She's lucky. Because I happen to run into her. And she comes out gaining an head. But I did it to get more brownie points in heaven. To add more um, capital to my heavenly bank account. So, the very fact I'm raising this shows you these are philosophical themes that the Stoics, the Epicureans, and the other Greek philosophical schools raised that Jews had to encounter for now for the first time. The famous story is, at least in Office of Ramnotsam, that when he said, do it, Shalom, and that's the couple of pros, Tzadik and Baisis understood him to me, there is no pros. In which case, by the way, that's a, a um, it's an interesting phenomenon. If I told you, you should do the mitzvahs, uh, even if there's no reward for it. So you nod your head and you say it's a nice cliche, but then at the back of the mind, you, you know, give me a little push. I'm doing this not because there's a reward. Oh, but Lamai said there's a reward, right? <laughs> you get it? Sure, I'm doing no scar at all. When I die, I don't get anything out of it. But really, I am, right? Right? You understand? Even the person who says, doing Shalom, not the couple of props, is a little bit of baloney. Maybe it's more than a little bit of baloney. Because deep down, I think I ain't getting scar. Like when you hear the story of Vilna Gong, you know, gave the Esther to the, got the Esther to the lady, and says, I'm giving you my scar, as we all know that famous story. Yeah, but deep down, you say, like, Abelomaisa, the Vilna Gong did get scar for that. I'd rather, the very fact he was willing to give his scar, gives him a bigger scar. So you're running around in circles with that. What I just said is what a clever Hellenistic teacher would have said to a Jew long ago. The Jew would say, I'm doing it a shalom, not a couple of pros. And the Hellenistic guy would say, yeah, but really you believe there is a pros. So it's all bull. It's interesting. From the whole discussion, come to Christ, that some could and did say, there is no pros. Um, now, the problem with, and, and the, the um, what do you call it? The officer of Nelson goes on to say that Sodic started the Sadducan and Baisis started the by Susan. So there was Sodic and Boethius, a Jew with the name Boethius, Baisis, well known Greek name. And each one started a group. What does it have to do with the Prussian and Sadducan? I'm taking this sea shows long ago. Uh, depending how you learn the Persian Gulf and the dates, the Second Temple period, it was a fair amount of time, and perhaps a long time, before Antiochus IV and the Hanukkah stories and all the things that come out of that. Why am I saying this? Because we don't encounter the Tzadukim, the Sadducees, as a group, and called by name, until after the successful Maccabean Revolt. So we go from the time of Shimon Sadagan, taking the Sisoko, down to the time and let's say they lived in the time of Alexander the Great, more or less, right? Or a generation later. That would put you approximately at the time the Bible was translated into Greek, which incidentally might have influenced this process because once the Bible's in Greek, you see all these rules and regulations, the Bible can seem, from a philosophical perspective, to be a baby document, immature document. I'm a jealous God. Don't you bow down any other gods. You bow down somewhere, I'll kill you. I'll stone you. You know, from a Greek philosophy, he's telling us, what are you stoning him for? He just is wrong. That's all. Just prove, demonstrate to him he's wrong. Are you going to stone somebody if they go the wrong way on the street? 
If they don't understand better, especially when it comes to religion. So the guy thinks an idol's real. Big deal. Why'd he kill him? Like we would say today in America, you see somebody who doesn't believe something who's not a, a Shomer Mitzvah. We're going to shoot him? He's right, NCSY, you know, Kiro, something like that. And that's what you do. And don't tell me, well, it's only because we can't. I hope that's not your reason. See, I'm now raising Greek philosophical issues. Right? If you want to put it in a way that you'll consider cool, you'd say, suppose you knew a guy in your class, your friends, and he says he's going to be Michal Shabbos. Today, in 2021, a neighbor, a friend, somebody you know, and you say, oh, Michal Shabbos is terrible. Then I ask the question like this. If you were able to lock him in his house, lock him in a room over Shabbos, next 24 hours, so you'll physically not be able to get out of the room and be Michal Shabbos, you know, you time down or whatever, would you do it? When I ask this question in classes, you always get 50-50, depending on where it is. Half the people say, yeah, you know, you have to do it. Can't uh, can't allow a Jew to be Michal Shabbos. And the other one say, yes, no. First of all, you'll turn them off. Second of all, I'm not talking about, let's say the police went into me. He'll hate Shabbos. He'll hate you. I would. You force somebody, they blow back. Correct? What you do is, you try to be Makai, you try to persuade him. Right? We say, Jay, trying to find somebody who can be be on him in a good way. Something like that. That's already a Greek philosophical approach. So the origins of the Sudukin may have been in something like this. But what emerges is an attitude um, in which you have some Jews who say like this. Um, you know why we say Shalom Manasakal Bapras? Because there is none. How you say there is none? When you die, it's over. When you die, it's over. Why well, keep the mitzvahs anyway? God said to do it. Yeah, but what's he going to do to me? See, you just showed yourself to be a dumbbell. Don't say what he's going to do to me. There is no Skarbonish. There is no Skarbonish. You do cause the right thing to do. Now, the Rambam, by the way, who is a philosopher, from obviously, a thousand years later, there's a whole essay called Introduction Perichelic, in which he's very eloquent about this. And he says, you know, um, a person should be this way. And you should only do the Torah only because it's true, no other reason. And he said it's hard for the public to understand this, which is why they say we advocate Shalom Lishma. Hopefully, you'll mature to the point of Lishma. And he says it's hard for people to hop. And the Rambam says in that essay, so they can buy some screwed up on this, because it's a hard thing to understand. He admits it's difficult. Now, the Misa, they were at the time of Alexander the Great immediately afterwards, at the time the Torah was translating the Greek. That's what put you in the 280s, roughly, BCE. The story of Hanukkah is about 110 years later, 120 years later. Give you a time frame. That's a long time. It's like something from 2021 versus 1921. In the year 170 comes the Greek persecutions of Hanukkah time. Around then. Hanukkah story is usually associated in the 160s BCE. The, until that time, we don't know exactly what's going on. Where were these guys holding? Uh, we can certainly see that there were Jews, including Kohanim, who were influenced by the Greek uh, styles. That's what Hanukkah is all about. Jason and Menelaus and so forth. 
But are they following a philosophy and acting according to philosophy? Or are they into naked self-interest and power and money and just using the philosophy as a fig leaf? If you believe there's no Skyronish, and then when you die, it's all over, the lights just go out, which is what this group came to believe, it's too easy for an ambitious person to say, look, Olam Haba doesn't exist. Let me hop right into Olam Haza. After all, who gives a damn? What's going to happen to me? Nothing. There is a God, but he doesn't operate in a way of Skyronish. And so, if I want this girl, I'll do whatever I need to kill her husband and get the girl. If I want the power, I'll kill whoever I need to get the power. Is it right? Is it wrong? Eh, you know, the mind comes up with Tarutzen. And what emerged was the story of Hanukkah in which the Hellenistic Jews, pursuing power in, in, in association with the government, persuaded Antiochus IV to start persecuting the firm religion which, of course, triggered the Maccabean Revolt. And unexpectedly, Maccabean Revolt, which involved a very heavy amount of killing and torturing by two sets of Jews, the Frum and the Non-Frum. They don't call them Sadduken at that time, but the Hellenists, the Frum and the Non-Frum. <clears throat> um, now, if you read the Book of Maccabees closely, there's a lot of vicious killing between one side and the other. Now, unexpectedly, the Maccabees won. They set up a state. Now you start to hear the Sadduken. In Josephus. Nowhere earlier. Who are the Tzadikim? It's not clear. We know they have arguments of rituals with the Prussian. As you know from Yuma, they have different ways of doing the Avoda, perhaps. Right? Um, some thinkers want to read a great deal of Ashkafedness, like Morel. According to Victor Miller and the Doris uh, Rishonim, it's all baloney. His big thesis is that the Hellenists, who, as I say before, into power and glory and ambition, and who, because they don't believe in Skyronish, were willing to practice pure power politics with uh, no thought for the consequences, these Hellenists were the losing end of the Maccabean Revolt. As I said before, when they were in power, they tortured the Jews and burned them and this, that, and the other, skinned them alive, read about Hanan and the Seven Sons, and so forth, in the second book of Maccabees. But unexpectedly, they're on the losing side. Now, the way you... Un here's the, how the version of the story goes. Junimac was a very firm guy. If he would have been in charge, he'd be like a from Taliban. The Jew would have won, the, the, the from would have won, and he would have killed all these suckers. Get it? Kill them all, because they're poison, they're cancer. Or chase him away. Get out of Israel. Leave the Jews alone. But he died in the middle of the war, and so did his brothers. The last brother, Shimon, who was a... Um, Sorry about that. The last brother, Simon Maccabee, last of the five brothers, he already, by his time, the Jews had set up a partial state, and they wanted to expand it in the middle of Israel, in other words, the Jerusalem area. And they were already in a role. And because he already was a state, and he was a shtickle king, prince, and so forth, and commanded the Jewish armies. And he successfully fought some of the Greek armies. It's in the Book of Maccabees. So he basically said like this, um, let's see if 
the Hellenistic Jews, who are now on the losing side, if we can hook up with them and use them. This was a terrible error. Terrible error. Now, why do I say that? Um, why would he do that? He was winning the Civil War. The Frum army was from the Maccabean army. The Hellenists, to some degree, felt stupid. Why had they supported the suppression of the Jewish religion? To kiss up to the Greeks. Why do you want to kiss up to the Greeks? They got the power. Turns out now, the power goes to the Frum. The Maccabees won the war. And so, there's no plus in cutting your pay. The opposite. The guys with the pay is one. So you look stupid because you bet on the wrong horse. You thought by being non-firm and all the rest of it, you'll get ahead. It didn't quite work that way. It's a little bit like a guy today who stops being from. Okay, I get it. But he doesn't become a millionaire or anything like this. He gets some 9-to-5 job and makes $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year. He's, you know, barely making ends meet like everybody else. And he lives the life of a little schnook. So what do you get by not being from? You didn't get all the You see? If you tell me I exchanged a life of living in Bar Park for a life of a successful surgeon, something like that, and I lived the life of a millionaire, all right, I get it. You know, not everybody's into Omaha. At least you get Omaha. But to have neither is stupid. So these guys look dumb. Shimon Maccabee um, was assassinated by his son-in-law, who was a Saduki, Hellenist. Why would he do that? You deduce from that that he already was starting to think along these lines. Maybe because he was rich, and rich likes rich. Maybe other reasons. Let's say for statesman-like reasons. We can win these Jews over, and they'll join back to the Claudius role, and they'll occupy a role suited to their talents, and they'll help the overall situation. To put a little bit more of a sophisticated spin on it, Shimon figured like this. The Maccabean armies were primarily from, but the from weren't fighters. They fought because of Yahar Gwalyavar. They were fighting against, um, you know, um, people wanted to destroy Judaism. But once that was over, and I've talked about some Hanukkah podcasts, once the threat was over, the Frumis wanted to go back and learn, as to use modern terminology. They'd only left the Kola and the Shiva because of emergency. The Hirshim and Maccabee saying, i got to build up a country, a state of Israel. I can't rely on these guys if they're all going to leave and go back to civilian life, even though I understand why they're doing it. I need people with administrative experience, military experience, political, diplomatic experience. Where am I going to get them? Suppose tomorrow, the state of Israel and Haredi. Where would they get their Secretary of the Treasury, Minister of Foreign Affairs, and all the rest of it, if they went around a successful operation? Of course, in modern times, they just put some from guy up there and make a fool of himself. But I'm talking about if they want to do intelligently. Right? You'd have to have somebody with some kind of secular education. So, the long and the short of it is, the argument goes that Shimon, like, forgave or tried to reconcile with these Hellenists who no longer are advocating that the province of Judea should be completely Hellenized and part of the Seleucid Empire because the Jews had won that battle for political independence. 
So where do you go? What do you hold? What's your plan? You don't want to be from. These guys don't want to be from. They hated it from. From hated them. You don't want to be under from control. And so what you do now is you kind of reinvent yourselves. Instead of being Hellenists who are committed to the victory of the Seleucid Empire over the Jews, you say, now I'm adjusting to a new reality. We have a modern state of Israel, or Judea as they called it at that time. I'm going to advance the secular interests of that state. What is the secular interest of that state? Every state has secular interests. National security, finances, administration, legislation, things like that. These are areas, generally speaking, the front they want to go into. So it was too tempting to bring these guys in and say, listen, don't get involved with religious matters. Leave that to the rabbis. But you handle, as they say before, the matters you're good at. The after the death of Shimon, the assassination by his non-from son-in-law, his son took over, John Hercules, who was there for 30-some years. And John Hercules was a militarist. And he wanted to expand the Jewish state. I don't blame him. And he did. He tripled the size of Judea. He took over central Israel and all the rest. But a lot of stuff is recorded in various places, including in Miguel's Tainus. Now, that means John Herkinus, Yochanan Koenko, committed himself to a foreign policy of war. And he was successful at it. I repeat, he tripled the size of the country. And he didn't take any land that wasn't part of Eretz Yisrael. So by the time he finished, the Jews owned rove of traditional Eretz Yisrael. So that's a good thing. But this was coming after the Maccabean Wars with all their heavy casualties. In order to pursue this policy... He had a problem. The Frum were not in favor of this war policy. They said there'd be so much suffering. So many families lost their breadwinners and their relatives. Cholesterol needs relief. Now, so therefore, just have a policy of peace. He said, policy of peace? Now we can hop around. We can conquer the Samaritans. We can conquer the Edomites. One day, it's like Gaza. If you, if you don't get them, they'll get you. So we got to take them out now. And it's our land. I'm not going conquering foreign countries. So he had a loggerheads. He was a from guy, Yochan Kongo, but he couldn't get the the, the the Chachamim to agree with him. So he said, I'll do an end run around them. How do you do that? I'll raise money my own way so they won't have to do it with regular taxes. He robbed the grave of King David. He did other things. With that, he raised an army. I won't draft from guys. I'll raise a mercenary army, but then I'll need Jewish officers for the Geisha mercenaries who'll be in my army. So, this is an interesting, interesting mahalach. If you raise your own mercenary army, you're not drafting anybody. That's what we do in the United States of America today, for example. Not exactly the same way, because we have American citizens, but when I was a little kid, he had a draft, and the Vietnam War drove everybody crazy. In all these demonstrations, the system almost cracked. Um, what did the American government do when the Vietnam War was over? They said, okay, we'll still have an army, no more of a draft. Oh, there's no more draft, do what you want. So you're not taking me, not taking my son. Do what you want. Well, that's what the average person says. So they had a war in Iraq, and they had a war in this place, and that place, Panama, whatever. You know, Afghanistan. The American public doesn't really pay attention. 
the government, the president can do what he wants. Listen, there's been a, a, a real junk situation in Afghanistan. You listen to it on the news. You hear, you have a few feelings, but nothing serious. Because the people there are volunteers. I wouldn't call them mercenaries because that's an um, a, um, insult. I think they're brave people. They're fighting for their country, the Americans. Right? But the government's using them as they wish. If it was a draft, it'd be a different story. It'd be big pressure to get out. So that's what John Harkin said. But in order to run a warlike situation, you need a certain type of diplomacy. And most importantly, you need officers for the army. And so these former Hellenists now reinvent themselves as the Tzadukim. Notice they adopted the ideas of Tzadik and Baisa, which have been around for a long time. And they rose to power under John Hercules because, in the end, there's a dramatic scene, but I, I'm speaking historically now. In the end, uh, they aligned with his policies more than the Prussian, which is why he broke with them. And as everybody knows, the famous Chazal, Yochan Kongo, for most of his life he was from the Prussian. At the end of his life he switched with the Tzadugan. Now there's a story about a banquet and all the rest of it, but the broad sense is that the desire to advance the secular goals of the state of Israel, the state of Judea at that time, clashed with the firm desires. Each side really thought the other side doesn't get it. And the result was the emergence of Tzadukim again as power figures in the community. Josephus says they were rich and the powerful. That doesn't mean all rich and powerful, because there are plenty that were from the Prussian. But this was the class of people that did it. And they backed the Maccabean rulers, Chashmanim, they call them, against the rabbis. They're happy to do so. That's their normal role, to go against the rabbis. Did they have a philosophy? I mean, the essential philosophy is, if you don't believe in Scarbonish and all the rest of it, there's a lot that, basically, you're saying, when it comes to politics, practicality trumps everything else. And so the result is, they were into power, they created their own doctrines. I don't know if they create overnight their doctrines. There's no way to know that. Probably these things had gelled for over a long period of time. And essentially what they're saying is the rabbis are full of it. They have, they're making up as they go along or something like that. And these ideas are not true. And we are the real Jews. And, and they're making new stuff up. Um, this, of course, ticked off the rabbis. The situation degenerated after John Hercules. Because his son was Aristobulus, and the next one was Alexander Yanai. And they were less from than the father had been. And uh, they were, by total nature, according this kind of rank, Sadukim. They obviously consider themselves good Jews because they conquered a lot of territory, and they added territory to Israel. And I want you to understand, they didn't have no Palestinians. If they conquered the territory, they had kicked them out or, or converted by the force of Judaism, which would be a, a nationalistic type of approach. They say the Chacham didn't approve. We'll never know. I've heard this since I was a kid, but it doesn't say anywhere in Josephus that the Chacham didn't approve. But whatever it is, that's what they did. So they forcibly converted a whole lots of people to Judaism. Um, their goal was the expansion of the Jewish state. If I help acquire the Galil for Israel, whereas Alexander Yanni did, if I acquire the whole of Jordan, as we call it today, for the state of Israel... How am I a bad Jew? I'm helping the Jewish people. Right? See, what about the rabbis? The rabbis are the opponents of military expansion. Therefore, they're traitors. 
this really got out of hand during the reign of Alexander Yanai and um, got involved in the civil war with him. And he killed 50,000 of Prussian. And the Sadducum reigned as dictators. Now, I'm crunching a whole lot into it a little bit. And he himself, Yanai, famously said on his deathbed, don't worry about the Tzedukim and the Prussian, worry about the Tzvum, the, the hypocrites. Osin Maisi Zimrim Vakshin Meaning, after Korean politics, he saw that he had alienated the Prussian. And Josephus tells us, Rove of the Tzibur back to Prussian. Wherever they go, they give great attestations of their piety. I remember this by heart. The Sadducees are not like the Pharisees treat each other well, the Sadducees don't because they're different political mafias within their group. In the course of all this, now that you have a state, so there's a king, uh, used to be called a prince, Aristobulus took the title of king, Yannick took the title of king, and um, that means there's a country called Israel, Judea, capital city in Jerusalem, there's a government apparatus, there's an army, um, the former not part of all this. There's a parliament, a Sanhedrin, of some kind or another. Who controls the Sanhedrin? When civil wars broke out and Sadducum won the civil wars, and they did militarily, for a bunch of reasons, you know, maybe the Prussian could have won, but they, they were softies. By the time it's over, again, skipping over all the details, the Sadducum won. When they won, they took over the Sanhedrin, they took over the Kuna Gadola. Alexander Yanni was the Maccabean king, the Maccabees were Kohanim. So they were Kohen Gadol. That's the that's what Judah Maccabee was. He took the title of Kohen Gadol because in his time it had fallen into gutter thanks to Jason Menelaus and this other stuff. So Judah Maccabee was not only the commander of the Jewish army, he was a Kohen Gadol. And his successors after him were Kohen Gadol. Knew that means that if John Hurkinus switched to be a Tzaduki, at the end of his life he's Kohen Gadol, but he's a Tzaduki, so he's not following the Prussian. So maybe they did the base of Migashev a little bit different, which humor goes hyper about um, they took over um, Sanhedrin, meaning, as we would say today, judiciary. So they tried to put the, in the courts their guys who were judged, not according to Torah because according to Torah Shabbat's baloney, it's made up. But normal. I remember what the Mishnah says, that they would um, chop off people's head or something like that, burn people alive, as strafe as opposed to the way we understand it. You can hear that. A lot of what we find in Torah Shabbat is not identical with the Pashup Shad of the You can totally hear the people say like this, I think you guys are making it up. I hold more like the Pashup Shad of the Chumash. There's a lot of that. So, when you read the Gemaras, these are the Prussian and their successors writing from memory, folk memory, what had happened earlier when there was a base of Migdash and the big issues that, that exist at that time. As time went by, it became more and more clear that the Tzedukim are a minority, powerful minority, and the Prussian represent the Hamonam. I think you know that when Yanai tried to switch the uh, ceremony on the uh, water ceremony in Sukkot, what am I thinking of? Shaftamai Misosan. Simchus Beis Shoeva. Everybody threw asterisks at him. Right? Whereupon he unleashed his soldiers and killed 6,000 Jews in the courtyard. So, after that and things like that, he kind of realized the public backs the 
Prussian. So you had a situation in which there's a popular movement with over 90%. There's a uh, minority movement of 10%. The minority movement is the people who holds the levers of power. And Josephus even says that if you wanted a easy, if you don't want a bad life, even if you're a Tzaduki and you become a coin Gadol, you will follow the Prushi things. Otherwise, the public will go crazy. To go and run amok on Yom Kippur or whatever, or on Pesach. And so the Tzedukin ended up, um, Balkarcham, conforming in public to Pharisee rituals. This was the crazy tense period of Baishani. Now, eventually, the Maccabees blew it. Kashran and the Romans came in. They messed each other over. You know, by the time you get to Alexander Yanni's sons, her considered still was a civil war. Both of them were equally jerks. That's the story. One version, the story I think of Honey Amagal, that he was killed because each side said, pray for me. And he said, I don't believe in either of you. So one of the sides killed him. Right? And I think it's what you say about Honey Amagal. Which shows you both princes were jerks. But then it got even worse because they had the Herodians. Herod came in and established his own dynasty. Herod wasn't a Sadducee. Herod was a Herod. He was like Stalin. He had no time for any ideology. He's only in his own. To under Herod, the Tzedukim as a group, were actually persecuted unless they joined his team, which many did. And this is the reason why he had such a terrible tragedy in terms of Jewish-Roman relations, because in the century prior to the destruction of Mesa Migdash, which would mean from approximately 30 B.C. to 70 A.D., as we all know, Mesa Migdash destroyed in the year 70, um, the people who had the power in um, in in Israel and Judea, the people who knew the Roman governors best, were these Sadducean and Herodian types. They always told Lashon Hara against the Jews to kiss up to the Romans. There's a whole long story about that. Um, these guys were Mamish traitors. Had the Chachamim been in charge, it's pretty evident that they would have handled the situation with the Romans much better. Because from the point of view of the Prussian, Rome is here, they're not going away, let's just get along with them. Let them leave us to keep our own religious customs, and Shalom Yisrael. Yocham being an example I'm talking about. But the situation was unnatural. The Frum, who were the majority, had no access to power. The non-Frum, the Tzedukim, the Herodians, were the ones who had the levers of power. The high priesthood, the heads of Sanhedrin, the, the rich, the big merchants, the people who knew the Roman governors best, that kind of thing. People with protected, as we say today, and the Romans were very corrupt, so it was all a matter who you bribe. And so the result was that the rabbis who should have had the political authority didn't. Since they didn't have the political authority, and the people who had the political authority were looked as traitors by the Hamonam, the ground was laid that this should sprout from the Hamonam individual Mayor Kahanas, who said, I'm taking the law in my own hands. And by the time it's over, let's revolt against the Romans. And that was crushed. Had the Chacham been in charge, they had a lot more sense, obviously, and it went, when that happened. That's the way you more or less understand it, according to Rabbi Vigner Miller.
So when you see these stories about Prushim Tzedukim, you know they're arguing whether this is Tome or not Tome. They had those arguments, but they weren't Iker. The arguments were uh, political footballs. And if you're interested in it to any real degree, I would tell you to go through the Megillus Tynus, especially now in ER and C1 and all that. You have all these days when, like in the time of um, the successor of Alexander Yane, was Queen Shlomo's Alexandra, the wife of Alexander Yane, and her, her brother was Shem Ben Shatach. Shem Ben Shatach was the leader of the front, but a major politician. And he maneuvered things in such a way that the Pharisees should get back power that they had lost in the previous reign. But then he overplayed his hand, and it led to a civil war. And then, as I said, Yanai killed 50,000 50, of the Pharisees um, in barbaric ways, and the rabbis ran away or got killed. That's the story. Should have been Prachia. They ran away to Egypt, and then they brought him back. That's where you have the Yeshu story. It's not Jesus, obviously, because uh, we're talking about the time of the Maccabees, long before Christianity, but that's where all these stories start. Why are leading rabbis hiding in Egypt? You had to. So the Tzedukin, therefore, ought to be understood as a, according to this Mahalach, as a political party which had a Judaic religious uh, overleaf that really wasn't about religion. The religion was about the politics. I know you're shocked to hear that religion intersects with politics. I'm sure it never happens in Israel today. Ha ha ha. But it happened at that time. And really, the leaders of the modern state of Israel, Ben-Gurion knows, knows this, they've always been very careful not to provoke, I would say, an open battle, because it could happen any time, between the from and the not from, the Haredim and the others. And uh, we have to learn the lessons from the past, not to allow a civil war. Imagine if a civil war broke out among the Jews, middle walls, it would only help the Arabs. You see? And so... The story of Tzedukin is an interesting one, but um, it's more for instruction than anything else. Here's the final point. These guys are around until the base of is destroyed. What happened in the year 70? Titus won, killed everybody, destroyed the base of Mesh, and flattened the city of Jerusalem. That means he, he nuked the Jewish state. There is no state afterwards. So... There's no Kohen Gadol position to fight for because there's no base of English. There's no Gizbar positions to fight for that the Tzedekim wouldn't have a piece of that. Right? Because the base of doesn't exist. There's no fight for who should control the Jewish state in any form. There isn't any. So the complete obliteration of Jewish political identity left a situation where there's, if you're interested in living an Olam life, there's no, no Jewish way to do it. Israel was a wreck. And what happens is you don't hear about the Tzedukim anymore after the year 70. All these guys you hear about in great intensity for the 100 years, 150 years before that, all of a sudden you don't hear about them. Who do you hear about as Jewish leaders? The rabbis, right? The first generation of Tanaim, second generation of Tanaim. They're the ones who go and negotiate in Rome. They're the ones who go, you know, try to mitigate the authorities. If a Bar Kochel rebellion will arise 60 years later, it's people like Rabbi Kiva. It's the rabbis. What happened to the Tzedukim? So the argument goes, since they went to power and fame and glory, Olam Hazer, and the Romans now made it that there is no Jewish Olam Hazer. There is none. 
it's going to be a life of poverty, or at least, that might be too strong, a life of exile. Do you know something? I'll move in with the guy. I'll move to Rome or wherever, and I'll just stop my Jewish life. So these Tadukin left the Jewish scene, became Goyim, so to speak, and disappeared in the course of history. Same way a lot of people are disappearing now from intermarriage and assimilation. Uh, Halevi, in Dirt Shushan, says, is a blessing. We, like, shed our cancer, you know what I'm saying? The destruction of base in Migdash had a positive side that Tzadukim left the scene because there was nothing for them to fight for. They weren't passionate about a religion which had no Olam Haba, I mean. They weren't passionate about, and willing to be Moser Nevish for religion which has no Scharvonish. You follow? Right? Right? So by definition, when things go bad, you check out. So the Sudukim disappeared. That's why, when you're reading more human elsewhere, you're dealing with, with texts written much later, which are looking back to the old days, from the perspective of looking at Tzidukim as a group which once upon a time existed, but no longer exists. So, uh, there's a classic case in Jewish history where it's not one group was able to out-argue the other or persuade the other, because each one dug in their heels. But the course of historic events led to a situation in which the weak left, the only ones interested in remaining, were from arguments have been made this is happening nowadays. You know, it's like the Orthodox may out-survive the Reform and the Conservative and the other. Can't persuade them. Now, I'm not exactly equating them with the Sadducee simply because there's no violent element in all this. But they, they're violent disagreements in Ashkafa. And the Tzadukim situation is one which says they didn't have staying power. Let's put it that way. Anyway, those are my thoughts on the subject. Right, again, I thank Yosh. Wish everybody a Good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.